You're listening to the Geek Watch Podcast, episode 11, with your hosts, Brian Hatcher and Mandy Petrie. And welcome to episode 11 of the Geek Watch Podcast. My name is Brian Hatcher, and with me, as always, Geek Watch's own resident geek goddess, Mandy Petrie. Good evening, Brian. <laughs> Good evening, Mandy. <laughs> so, to start out with, a little something happened last week that I wanted to talk to you about. Something uh, interesting, let's say, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Ah, uh, yes. Because okay. I was watching Collider's Movie Talk, and John Schnepp, who's on the show, mentioned something that I thought was interesting. He was talking about Sony Pictures and their Venom movie. We have Tom Harding, uh, who's going to be playing Venom. There'd been a lot of talk. Sony was going to be doing their own series of Spider-Man-like movies. Spider-Man wasn't going to be in them, but they were, they were going to take characters that they owned out of the mm-hmm. Spider-Man universe, okay. uh, Venom being one of them, mm-hmm. but that Spider-Man wasn't really going to be a part of them. About eight months ago, they had talked to Tom Holland, who who plays Peter Parker, and he yes. said, well, you know, that stuff's not really in my control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Spider-Man was sort of this shared thing, but Sony really wasn't, their movies they were going to do wasn't going to have anything to do with Tom Holland, Spider-Man, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And there was that moment where during the uh, press junket for Spider-Man Homecoming, when you had Kevin Feige and you had uh, Amy Pascal, who's the producer at Sony. Mm-hmm. And of course, the question was asked, are these two things going to combine? Yep. And Amy Pascal was like, well, you know, anything could happen. <laughs> and Kevin Feige looks over and says, you know, get, doesn't say really say anything, but he gives that what you talk about Willis look to her. <laughs> Which made a one a bunch of wonderful. No, this memes. is ours. Yeah, this yeah, is that's ours. not that's not how this is going to work. Mm-hmm. So anyway, getting back to Collider and John Schnepp, he said during the Collider movie talk last week, some little birds had talked to him. He didn't name any names, but he said that Tom Holland was on the set of Venom huh. and that he was filming. Hmm. So I went hmm because here, here's the thing: if anybody else would have said that. I would have declared shenanigans. I wouldn't have believed them. No, no, no. That's that's not going to happen. But this is John Schnepp. John Schnepp's a different cat. He doesn't report stuff if he's not 100% huh. sure about it. Mm-hmm. And him saying it, it gives some verisimilitude to the rumor. Now, of course, nobody's saying anything. Right. Uh, there's After the report, I mean, nobody has said yay or nay to anything. I mean, there's been no kind of press releases. Sony's not saying anything. Marvel Studios isn't saying anything. And really, John Schnepp, he wasn't on set. He's, like I said, he had heard a couple of little birdies had talked and said, yes, he's going to be involved in the movie. He made a, some speculations. He thought, you know, maybe it's just going to be Peter Parker. That, It'd be a cameo. Yeah, little... that, well, he said it was supposed to be more than a cameo. He wasn't going hey. to just show up. He was going to be a part of the story. Okay. And he also speculated that Venom might have a cameo in the uh, Infinity War. The okay. Avengers Affinity War, that if you saw the trailer, you know that Spider-Man and Iron Man are fighting Thanos on this planet, mm-hmm. and that perhaps Spider-Man winds up coming back to Earth, but he has a passenger with him, that he picks up the symbiote, the, the suit, okay. in, the, in this planet, which, right. again, complete speculation. Mm-hmm. 
But Schnepp thought this might be a possibility that might be the setup. Well, that helps out, you know, with the, the Spidey geeks out there. You know, it's very, very canon. They'd be happy with that. And it's kind of hoping that Sony and Marvel are happy to play with each other. No one's like, I'm going to take my toys and go home because they know that they can help each other out here. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. well here here's the thing about that is... I always thought it was kind of a weird idea that they were going to come out with a bunch of movies that deal with Spider-Man, the characters from Spider-Man, that Spider-Man wasn't really going to have anything to do with. I thought, just kind of odd. But at the same time, I can see why Sony might say, hey, you know, we don't want to have to go through Kevin Feige for everything. But at the same time, Spider-Man Homecoming made an awful lot of money. And the combination of that and seeing what can happen to a superhero movie when it's not planned out correctly... When there can be problems where Warner Brothers and, and DC and mm-hmm. the problems they've had, that Sony may have, they may have looked at the box office of Spider-Man, they may have looked at the box office of Justice League and thought, probably going to be better for us if we can to work with Marvel Studios and Kevin Feige on as many of our projects as we can. That just seems reasonable to me. Who knows, maybe that look that Kevin Feige shot to Amy Pascal was, don't give the game away. Mm-hmm. Let, them, let them think about it for a little bit. And so Surprise. that's... Yeah, exactly. You don't have to show everybody everything right off the bat. Let let them think about it for a while. Let them wonder about it. But certainly Sony's not saying anything right now. Marvel Studios isn't saying anything right now. They're neither confirming nor denying nor posting anything (laughs) saying we can neither confirm nor deny. They're saying nothing. No hints, nothing. No no hints at all. So if it hadn't been John Schnepp, I would have completely just dismissed the whole thing. But now I've got to wonder. Right now... Marvel Studios is doing so well. Yeah. Why would you not bring them in at right. this point? Mm-hmm. So, especially with the You moment, guys know what you're doing. So. Yeah, they, they do. Mm-hmm. They certainly, at, at least at this point. Not saying that two years down the road they don't jump the shark and it's over, but because anything is possible. I certainly pray for another 20 years worth of great Marvel movies, but uh, we'll see what happens. So, right now, you can't really confirm or deny anything. Fun to think about. It's, it's definitely, it's definitely some films that they've got coming out. Black Cat, Silver Sable team up. Maybe that's kind of migrating. But again, this is another uh, interesting mix coming along. Now, Marvel Studios and Disney, you know, them bringing Fox into the fold. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's going to open up. Up a lot of very interesting storytelling. And of course, on the other end of it, Warner Brothers is scrambling like crazy. They're canceling movies left and right. It's, and it's so disappointing. Yeah. The thing about it is, I'm beating a dead horse with this because I've said it more than once, but they had this really good film in Wonder Woman, and it was obvious that they don't understand why it was a good film. <laughs> They haven't really figured that out. Of course, they, they announced the, the Oscars, and I know what is Oscar bait and what isn't. It mm-hmm. was kind of disappointing that Wonder Woman got completely snubbed yeah. uh, on everything. I'm, it was a great film. I really enjoyed it, and I think there's there's at least a few technical awards that it could have certainly gotten a nod. Mm-hmm. But Is there... An Oscar, because, you know, I just know the big ones. You know, actor, director, best picture of the year. Is there one for fight choreography? Because if there's not, man, there should be. Yeah, I would Because all the way back, you know, at least the 70s. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think the Kung Fu movies. I mean, fight choreography would be a weaponry. It would be something really yeah, interesting. It would be so- That would be an interesting category to include mm-hmm. in the Oscars. 
I will tell you that we are just not even weeks, but days upon days away from Black Panther. Yes. And mm-hmm. that fight choreography looks yes. really good. Just, even with Black Panther's bodyguards, mm-hmm. their entire fight sequence is, is basically them working together as one unit, being able yeah. to play off of each other. And so those fights look like they're going to be pretty impressive. And bring up with Black Panther and talking about all these superhero movies and sci-fi movies and something, you know, I've said often is I really feel like sci-fi movies and superhero movies get the shaft on costumery Mm -hmm. for during the Oscars and during, you know, all the award seasons, because without fail, it is always historical dramas and historical pieces that get the nominations for best costumery, which is great. It's it's no more difficult to make gorgeous hoop skirt than it is to make a great leather corset that also hides your blaster. But you have references to look at. This is what they wore in revolutionary France. So Beauty and the Beast, it's not as difficult to create a good costume out of that. But then you have all these sci-fi movies where you have to have a reason of why these uniforms are the way they are. Your Star Treks, your Star Wars, looking at how would someone dress in the desert on a different planet and still be functional? How would, if you were riding around in a spaceship for months on end, what would you wear? What would be comfortable to you? And I really feel like that sci-fi and superhero movies, and I'm really hoping that with Black Panther, this country that they have created from scratch and why they wear the certain clothes and their armor and everything, if that could get an Oscar nomination or any kind of nomination for best costumery, I would be just thrilled. Oh, It my, would make me happy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And wh- what's really great about that is that combination of tradition and futuristic technology, mm-hmm. which I have to agree with you on it. But going back to the snubs that science fiction and fantasy usually gets in the Oscars, that <laughs> attitude with science fiction and fantasy has gone back for a long, long, long time. There's a reason why science fiction and fantasy stories are referred to as the pulps. Because mm-hmm. they were published in, in pulp magazines, magazines that you had cheap paper. And people who read those kind of stories, this was ghetto literature. It wasn't even literature. In fact, like the 40s and 50s, it, a lot of people consider a golden age of sci-fi, mm-hmm. which some really great writing came out of the 40s and 50s. But anybody who read that stuff was kind of looked on as weird. It's like... Mm-hmm. You read stories about people going to the moon? Yes. And I mean I and there was a there was a news article it was a practical that, like I Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there was a there was a news article with Harlan Ellison as a young oh, boy. Wow. He had started a sci fi club. Oh. Uh and he and a lot of friends read sci fi and, and he was interviewed in a newspaper and it was very condescending. Oh. And it was in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And this young Harlan Ellison made the prognostication that within 10 years, we'd be to the moon. And of course, the newspaper article ridiculed that completely. Like, <laughs> of course, that's not going to happen. Well, it happened sooner than even he had mm-hmm. uh, Am I mistaken said. that he even wrote a story called The Great Prognosticator, and they thought it was a computer, but it turned out to be a woman with tarot cards? Yeah, there you go. Am I, am I mistaken? That or definitely am I sound- thinking? It sounds like a Harlan Ellis. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's that certainly sounds mm-hmm. like something. Uh, I could be wrong, and if someone out there knows the story and is willing to correct me, please. Yes, post you know, it in the comments. Post it in the comments and say, you know, Mandy, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. Please do. Well, well, Also, with the snubbing of the Oscars, it's gotten a little bit better, but horror. And even Stephen King was say, you know, Kathy Bates absolutely deserve her Oscar for Misery, but D. Wallace in Cujo 
and the performance she gave in that mm-hmm. movie as a desperate mother and what would you do and trying to get her kid out of that car and just the desperation of this creature. And he, he said she felt so powerful and that was an amazing performance. And that uh, he's like, of all the, the movies and all the actors that have been nominated for my work, that he thought that she was, was deserving of some kind of award. Well, here, here's what's interesting about horror. Sometimes horror will get a nod from the Oscars, but it has to be transmogrified. I'll give you a perfect Nate. example. I'll give you the perfect example. Two of them, as a matter of fact. Two movies this for this Oscar season that have gotten nods. One, Get Out, directed by Jordan Peele, has gotten a has gotten Which some- I haven't seen, but I've heard so many amazing things about it and just, yes, exciting things about it, yeah. which I, I can't wait to see it. And of course, the other one, which we definitely have to mention, The Shape of Water, which has gotten a ton of Oscar mm-hmm. nods. But here's the thing. Two movies that seem to be horror films, but not treated that way. And there's been a lot of articles recently on why are they ashamed to call it horror? Okay. Is- See, like, I've heard some of the things about Get Out. Oh, that's not a horror movie. That's a that's a psychological thriller. That, that's Slash like vertigo. comedy. That's Slash like com- vertigo. Yeah, it's a comedy. And the thing about it is, again, I mean, I see this in literature, too. There's been a lot of, I've seen authors, and in a way, I kind of feel like I've, I've fallen into this myself. The stuff that we write, instead of calling it horror, we call it supernatural thrillers or thrillers mm-hmm. or, or, or things of that nature, and kind of getting away from the horror title. And part of that, I can certainly tell you in literature, is because horror fiction isn't looked upon, I mean, like science fiction and fantasy, of course, horror is a, mm-hmm. is a form of fantasy, is not looked at that highly. It's looked at kind of lowbrow literature, even though some of the classics in literature are horror novels. Mm-hmm. Short stories like The Lottery, or yes. not, or novels like Frankenstein, or Dracula, and obviously horror novels, but it's considered great literature. But there's just something about that title that, in the 80s, there was this golden age of horror where anything could get published, and there were just so much just really bad writing. <laughs> oh, they, yeah. You know, it's like anything that see, looked like it might be horror, they'd slap a black cover on it with a skeleton and they put it uh, out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was a kind of a lot of garbage out there. But at the same time, horror's never really been respected ever. Mm-hmm. It's just, it really hasn't. And stuff that we love, but we don't want people to know we love it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think that has that it's has a, a lot to do about it. But at the same time, I think, and it's certainly not the only art form that that gets the short shrift. I mean, you ask any magician or a mime, you can't ask a mime anything. Well, you know, <laughs> Marcel you open, Marceau you have to open up the box for them, and they'll come out and they'll kind of act it out. At the same time, it's like horror's always had that stigma to it that it's lowbrow, that it's pulp, that there's no real redeeming quality to the literature when history seems to obviously deny that. Oh my gosh, thing. the Bible? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's, no, tell me, tell me half of that book isn't horror. Well, I mean, there's certainly, uh, there's certainly a lot of that in, I mean, Revelations alone, of course, everybody's going to say, uh-huh. yeah. Oh, heck, the very first story, there were six people on earth and one of them killed his brother. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, horror's always had that. I mean, there's just a lot of, especially a lot of stuff that we geeks love. It's always been considered in a sense, either lowbrow or something that, that somebody with a very low social ability who, uh, Somebody who's not really able to get out maybe a step or two away from being a shut-in, mm-hmm. or in some cases an actual shut-in, that these are the type of things that, that are basically, again, lowbrow and very 
less respected. Less respected, mm-hmm. although very often these very things have been demonstrably proven to have an intrinsic value to them. It's just that it's not something that a lot of people get into until they do. Superhero mm-hmm. movie being the best example of that. That was considered just garbage films, and in, in the mm-hmm. beginning they were. I'm going to quiz you just a second. I'll oh, see if you boy. know this. Oh, no. The absolutely first Marvel movie. I mean, a, a, we're talking about a mainstream Marvel movie with a Marvel comic character in it. The first one. Hmm. Let's see if you know this. I'll be surprised if you do, because this is not something that anybody... Some is a film you've probably heard of, but you don't think of it as a Marvel movie. But yeah. it but it deals with a Marvel... Unlikely. With, uh, can you give me a year that it came out? I'll give you I'll give you a clue. I'll okay. give you a clue. It was produced by George Lucas huh. of Star Wars fame and Leah Thomas was in it. You give up? Yes. Okay. Howard the Duck. Are you serious? That was the very first one. That was the very first Marvel movie was Howard the Duck. They That's... didn't do a Spider-Man movie before that or no. or what about that awful Fantastic Four movie? After that. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Howard the Duck was how yes. they Yes. Yeah, so uh-huh. Yeah, you can't judge. <laughs> Howard the Duck, first Marvel. Now, being a kid when Howard the Duck came out, and it was a duck puppet, and it was it was cool, and it was a girl with crimped hair, and she was a rock star. I loved Howard the Duck. I, oh yeah, you know, it just I I don't know a kid who probably my age who saw it that didn't love Howard the Duck. It was great. Oh yeah, I I mean mm-hmm. I watched that movie on HBO so many times. Mm-hmm. Although again, it was it was so goofy, but it was it was so much fun. And mm-hmm. I, we had naked duck boobs in it. Yes. Oh, like, my gosh. <laughs> okay, why are we doing this? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And low-grade, very obvious bestiality involved. <laughs> not you know, even hinted at. Not even hinted not, at. Not even hinted at. It's mm-hmm. like, yep, there you go. We're going there. We are, we're definitely going to do this. This is, <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. They also had that very, very 80s trope of so many science fiction movies. Of traveling to Earth because of a low budget. <laughs> yeah. We were discussing that about uh, He Man and Beastmaster 2. And oh my gosh, so many. There's this other world and they get pulled into our world so that we could, <laughs> we could film things here and oh, yeah. we could put them in, we can put these crazy characters in this mundane situation. And oh, yeah, that, oh, that yeah. happened a lot. Oh, yeah. Well, it's so much. Well, and the thing is, I've seen a lot of low budget films that also did that trope where you'd have this fantasy setup that would last for about as long as their budget lasted until they basically maxed out their credit card. Then everybody goes to Earth. Yep. Everyone gets pulled through a portal. Everyone gets flung across the, the world. Yes. It's, uh... Uh, there's, as a matter of fact, I saw, I don't know if you watch uh, Red Letter Media and Best of the Worst. <laughs> I have seen it. Yes. Yeah. Um, their their last one that they did, one of the movies they watched was called Princess Warrior. And oh well, you Christian, Zena? I don't know. <laughs> no, no, it's it's a very uh, obviously very low budget, which of course is why it was on Best of the Worst. Hugely low budget film that involved two sisters fighting over the throne of this planet, and they have to travel to Earth. Of course. Because they ran out of budget, mm-hmm. and for some strange reason, for them to get to Earth, they had to go in this plastic tube, and they had to take all their clothes off to get into the tube. Uh-huh. And since this is a planet of women, they're, I guess they figured, well, you know, just, for one, it's like Terminator, 
And of course, Terminator, you can't go to modern Earth without right. losing all your clothes. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the, these were women, and blood and boobs are the cheapest special effects yep. that you can get. So mm -hmm. they had them take their shirts off and go into a plastic and tube. And in the 70s and the 80s, didn't have the internet around. You couldn't get blood and boobs. Like you nope, you had to, you had to go you get had your to VHS go, tapes. You had to get your VHS tapes. You had to go to the movie theater to see your blood and boobs. That, that's yep. it. Because of the fact that we just, we you know, here's ADD again. We have, mm. We've made it kind of a loop. All the way around, but yeah. of course, there's a lot of movies we're looking forward to this summer, and of course, our next one's going to be Black Panther, and yes. I, I can't wait. Very and we'll, I guess we'll have to wait and see how this whole Spider-Man drama uh, mm -hmm. deals with. We'll have to see what, what happens next, and if anybody says anything, I expect that probably the next thing that we hear will be during the during the first trailer. Mm -hmm. We might get an idea mm -hmm. of something going Figure on. Figure there's so many non-disclosure forms flying around <laughs> you would think so but i tell you what it seems like tom hardy uh has ignored all of them because he's constant i i swear i've known leaky tires that don't leak as much as he does i mean he's constantly they should take his instagram away from him because he's constantly spoiling the movie oh but it's just like dude you just calm down a little bit man you don't have to post everything especially it's stuff they don't want people to know about <laughs> Calm down, dude. But I guess we will see what we will see next. So, I wanted to end the podcast today. Uh, I did want to talk a little bit about something that happened yesterday, on Wednesday. For geeks who are reading geeks out there, especially the ones who love the spookier stuff, horror, a real legend in the business passed away on Wednesday. Dallas Mayer, who wrote under the name of Jack Ketchum, passed away yesterday after a long battle with cancer. A lot of people was expecting it, but at the same time... It's never easy. It was, it was, yeah. It's never easy. Especially in a situation where two days earlier we lose Ursula Le Guin, an amazing sci-fi fantasy writer, known for the Earthsea trilogy, okay. but a lot of other, other books as well. But for me, Jack Ketchum, I'd read him a great deal, and I was fortunate enough to have met Dallas over 10 years ago and to basically have a bit of a friendship with him. So he was a contemporary of Stephen King, and Stephen King many times referred to Jack Ketchum as his, fa his favorite writer, who he liked to read. Dallas never had the popularity that Stephen King did because Stephen King was, in a sense, more mainstream with his writing, and a Jack Ketchum book was always, was always the scariest ride in the carnival. <laughs> always. Because a Jack Ketchum novel very seldom had supernatural elements to it. All the horror that came from these books, for the most part, came from real human monsters. Oh, mm -hmm. And so he was not flinching at all when talking about a lot of these issues. And so a lot of these books are really unpleasant to read. They're very difficult read, like The Girl Next Door, which, which was like the first Jack Ketchum book. That and it was based read. on a true story, correct? That was, yes. Yeah. But a lot of these things, like Off Season that deals with a cannibal family, that was based off of a true story. He wrote about the monsters that we see on the news. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it, just in the last two weeks, you know, yeah. we, we learned about a couple of monsters and, you yeah. know, a nuclear family. That was, you know, actually in Monsters Behind a Door. Oh, yeah. And Which so. plays off very, very much like, again, The Girl yeah. Next Door mm -hmm. and just that concept of a nightmare in suburbia. But mm -hmm. Dallas was willing to, to look a lot of these things in the eye and talk about them and write about them. One of the books that I remember that he wrote, Right to Life, which was also very painful to, to read. It, and it, it basically dealt with a woman who she had gotten pregnant. 
Mm-hmm. She was going to have an abortion, and this couple who thought abortion was wrong basically kidnaps her. They keep her tied up and f- to force her to have the child. But what I find interesting, of course, is a lot of people wondered about Dallas because, again, he, he would write these really just kind of messed up stories. Dark. Dark, dark stories. Mm-hmm. And you wonder what kind of guy can write about that type of stuff. Who, what type of personality? Or to be more blunt, you know, what happened to you as a kid <laughs> yeah. that, that made you do this What's stuff? your childhood trauma? What was your, what was your childhood trauma? And you know, the truth is, a lot of people give him the title of being like the, the father of torture porn. Uh, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's really fair to say. Because one thing I can definitely tell you from knowing Dallas for all these years is that the stuff that he wrote and the type of person that he was, knowing him and meeting him and talking to him, not the same thing. This was not some sort of maniacal sadist who just glorified in pain. In fact, it always amused me very often when he would do a reading at a convention or a book reading, and he would, he'd be reading something, and you'd see him cringing at something. Mm. And, you know, it's like... You know this. You you, know you this. typed it. You you he, wrote this. And he knew he was going to. You know have it's to, coming. You know it's coming, and it was just like he he felt uncomfortable with it. I I, I have to tell you this one story about Dallas. It was years ago. Uh, he and I were both at a convention near Baltimore called Horror Find. and it was a horror convention. There were a lot of horror movie stars and all that, but it also had a very strong writers' track. A lot of us guested at Horror Find, and Dallas was a guest there one year. We were talking about The Girl Next Door, and the movie based off of the book was basically in production at the time. It hadn't come out yet. If uh, you're looking for a very disturbing film, definitely look it up. Don't. Uh, it's not the comedy with Eliza Cutbirth, believe me. It's, uh, it's not even close to funny. But he was talking about how he, they let him come into the room while they were looking for directors. Now, Dallas didn't really have any input in who they decided to go with, and he didn't really want any input. Mm-hmm. They just wanted him to be there, and he wanted to be there, and just kind of observe the whole thing. And he didn't give me the name of the director who came in, but one of the directors that they were interviewing, he said, I'm a big fan of your books. I'm a big fan of this project. I, I'm really enthusiastic to be a part of it. I do have to tell you that if I get the job, I am going to have to change the script a little bit. And I said, why? He said, because there's a scene that's in the book that's not in the script, and I really think we need to shoot it. It needs to be in the movie. He said, well, what scene is that? And he said, well, you remember that scene where the girl that they have imprisoned in the basement, that they've been torturing, raping, and and all of this, this whole time? They said, well, they drag her out. They drag her up the stairs. They throw her in the shower. They turn the hot water on, and they scald her, you know, and they torture her with this hot water. They're burning her all over her body, and then they drag her out and they throw her back down into the into the bomb shelter he's like that's such a powerful scene and it would be a shame if it's not in the movie and dallas said and he said thank you for your time and they left and they didn't say anything and i didn't say anything and that director didn't get the job (laughs) and i don't mind because that was just like a a really bad idea that scene there was no reason to shoot that scene it's a horrible scene it has no place in the movie and I said, well, you know, the funny thing is, though, Dallas, you wrote that scene. <laughs> you, you put that scene in the book. And he goes, yes, but there's a difference between a novel and a movie. He said, with a novel, you control the pace. You can read it as fast or as slow as you want. Mm-hmm. If things get too rough, you can put the book down. Yes, you can absolutely. take a break. You can do all of that stuff. In a movie, 
It's the director and the film that controls the pace. You are strapped in like a roller coaster. You have no control over anything. You can't stop it. You're stuck. Scenes with that kind of brutality where maybe you can take a break and a breather in a novel, you can't in a movie. And Mm -hmm. it's just, with that type of situation, it's just too brutal. And he said, besides that, we're dealing with kids. And that scene, he goes, I know that they're actors. I know they're professionals. Mm -hmm. But the truth is that scene... It's just too rough to put a bunch of kids through. And he said, you know, here's here's the thing. He goes, yes, I understand that acting out a scene is different than actually being in a situation. But emotionally, there's the difference isn't enough. Mm-hmm. He said, and especially I'm not going to put a 15-year-old act, actress through something like that. Mm-hmm. You know? If you had to pretend. Yeah. yeah. And so, but that was Dallas. Mm-hmm. You know, Dallas, in a lot of ways, was one of the most moral men that I knew. Because, again, he, you know, you read his stuff, you think he's some sort of sadist. But the truth was, he was a very good person. He didn't write the things that he wrote because he was trying to glorify violence or brutality or he's trying to shock people. He was saying, you know, there's terrible things in the world and mm-hmm. we have to be careful. This is reality. You know, and, and it is. <laughs> and the irony of this, and I... I have the paperback of The Girl Next Door, and there's some short stories included at the end of it. And one oh. of them, and one of them deals with a man who comes back. He, he was killed and he comes back as a ghost. And it deals with him, his ex-wife, his attempt to kind of torture her because mm. she, she, hear, she can hear him. Ooh. And so mm-hmm. she can't see him, but she can hear him. He's yelling at her all the time because he's how angry he is with her. But it deals with him, her, and their pet cat. And I don't want to say anything more about it than that. Huh. It, the story, it's not a horror tale. It's a tale of terrifying beauty. And wow. I literally cried at the end of it because of how touched I was by the story. Dallas has always been a cat fanat. He loves cats. <laughs> he absolutely loved cats. And so him writing a cat story wasn't a surprise, but a story that involved a cat. But, oh... It was such a beautiful story, and especially after going through the the hell of the girl next door, it was definitely something I was really glad to I that I got a chance to read, but uh, and needed it. It was more than just a palate cleanser. It was it was like a soul cleanser. Dallas passed away yesterday, Mm -hmm. and I I have to say of what I know about Dallas and how I'll always remember him is the fact that this was somebody who dealt with the absolute depths of human depravity. He did guided tours of the darkest parts of the human heart. He knew just how bad humanity could get. And after seeing all of that, it made him kind. It made him gentle. It made him a good soul. And it made him the type of person who wanted to help other people. And he always did. He was always encouraging to writers, to other artists. He gave his time. I'm going to miss him. Sorry I'm definitely going to miss him. Well, it's not just my loss. Literature as a whole has lost a, a shining light in fiction with the loss of uh, Dallas Mayer, a.k.a. Jack Ketchum. So, uh, scotch to you, my friend. So, that should be it for the end of the show. Okay. So, next week. Next week. I've got something I want to talk to you about. I want to. I don't want to tip anything to off too much, uh-huh. but there's been something that's been going around in my head, and I may need your help with this. I'm. This okay. might be um, 
I may I may be going insane and I may need you to help me with this. So we'll but we'll see. We'll definitely okay. see. So until next time, uh from Andy Petrie, this is Brian J. Hatcher reminding you that we're all geeky in our own way. So embrace your inner geekiness and we'll talk to you next time. Take Thanks care. Thanks for listening.